Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Imagine this, you receive news that you need open heart surgery and not shortly after your partner gets a diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's. You're both still young in your early fifties. There's still so much life ahead of you. What do you do with the news? Well, here's what my next guest, Tony and his partner, Catherine did. They retired sold their home and became nomads running half marathons and marathons all over the world. What else were two people with a history as endurance athletes to do? Since then, they both traveled to 82 different countries. They've run a half marathon or longer in 35 of them and been on each of the seven continents. They've been to places like Madagascar, Bhutan, and the Great Wall of China with nothing but a suitcase. I'm absolutely going to figure out how I can sneak into one of their suitcases and come along for the ride or up my running game so that I can run alongside on one of their adventures. Hey, Tony, thank you for being here. I cannot wait to dive into your story. I am so blown away uh, about how you lived these last seven plus years traveling the world and living with nothing but a suitcase. Well, I'm happy to be here. And your intro reminded me of something that happens quite often. We'll check into a hotel. We usually stay at Marriott properties. And one of the folks would always ask us, so where are you coming from and where are you going when we check out? And then they would ask, can we get in your suitcase? So it was kind of interesting that you said the same thing. (laughs) I know. Absolutely. I feel like everyone who listens to this podcast is going to be like, how do I come along for this wild ride? I mean, so many people dream about Um, having the chance to travel the world and leave everything behind and just um, kind of take the leap of faith and let all the fears and everything um, go away and just jump all in. So I know that people are going to be so inspired and try to figure out how to do the same. So I'll definitely have to tackle them down for my spot. Yes. Surprisingly enough, most of the people that we've met and I tell the story to, they're excited and they think, oh, wow, what a great great way to live. But at the same time, they love their comfy chair and their bridge game and their golf game. So they say, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I can definitely see that too. It's nice to have home sweet home and um, all of your comforts, but uh, how cool would it be even just to take a little bit of time and, you know, go explore the world and live out of a suitcase. Okay. So both you and your partner, Catherine had received medical news around the same time. So I want to know what transpired after receiving the news and how did you come to the decision to run all over the world? Well, I was a commercial pilot for 37 years. So I was kind of used to packing up a suitcase. I actually had a suitcase always packed and uh, I've traveled the world on uh, flying airplanes so it wasn't that unusual for me, Catherine, as a, as a youngster, her family traveled quite a bit also. We had been running for, at that point, about uh, 15 years. And we decided that what we would do is we had some races on the calendar and we would retire, sell the home, but look for someplace else to live. So we went for one race and we would go into the town or the city or the country and say, oh, let's see if we can live here. And after about four or five days, we've seen it all and we're ready to go on somewhere else. And then next thing we know, it's seven years later and we're still at it, moving at a rate of about three to four days at a clip. Wow, that is incredible. Um, Was there any places along the way that were... um, like high on the list or had all the potential or you just kept wanting to see more? Well, I will do a selfish plug here. I have a book out running all over the world, our race against early onset Alzheimer's. And actually have two chapters where I talk about the possibility of us settling down in a couple of different places. 
Uh, one was St. Kitts in the Caribbean, and another one was uh, down in Mexico, a place called Loreto. But uh, nope, right now we're still going and uh, we have some more races on the calendar. As a matter of fact, we leave next Tuesday for Berlin, Germany, and also on to Scotland. So no. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into all of that, I just want to back up just a little bit to when, um, the medical stuff was going on. So mm-hmm. what was that like to receive the news? And I know early set on site, Alzheimer's, um, can be really paralyzing, um, to some people who receive the diagnosis and there might not be, um, a light or the fears that come with it. So what was that like? And, and how has the running helped with the medical stuff? Well, I want to back up and talk about myself for just a second, and then I'll dive into the Alzheimer's. Um, Being a pilot, I had to get a physical every six months. And about two years prior to the operation, my surgeon, flight surgeon, told me that I had a heart murmur. First, I thought it was something uh, benign, but in actuality, it was the aortic valve was not closing properly. And back up. So we needed to do something. We monitored it for two years, and then we set a date for it to be have the open heart surgery. Around that same time, the two-year standpoint, I started noticing things with Catherine uh, that weren't normal. Uh, her asking questions that were out of the ordinary, I knew that she knew the answer to, uh, having problems balancing a checkbook, things of this nature. It wasn't until she started having problems with her job performance that we really started getting concerned. And luckily we got a lot of documentation and she was able to get uh, a early retirement uh, severance package and uh, healthcare through her occupation. She was working for the government at the time. So what we did was I started doing some research as being endurance athletes, I I was looking at uh, continuing to run and found that uh, exercise, especially intensive exercise is very good for the brain for several reasons. One, it decreases the inflammation in the brain. The second one, it helps to uh, peel away some of the tau and tangles that are associated with Alzheimer's and then also, it gives you satisfaction from being able to complete a goal. We set out to run a race, we complete the race, we get the medal, and then you have the endorphins from the running, you have the endorphins from uh, receiving the medal and accomplishing that goal. And then also, it tires her out. So when it comes time to go to bed and get some sleep, uh, she's ready for, to do that. And that helps out a lot also, because during sleep, if you get into the right proper uh, form of sleep, you uh, actually wash away some of the toxins that are associated with Alzheimer's. So we saw that as being very beneficial. Uh, And also the socialization that goes along with it, traveling, seeing new and exciting things that at first goes into the long-term memory, which is not affected at first. So you have that satisfaction of of those uh, botanical garden visits and the Eiffel Tower. And, you know, I could just go on and on, but those type of things we can reminisce about. Oh, wow. So when you would travel from place to place, uh, were there any, I'm sure there were like any road bumps or anything that came up um, with the diagnosis or was it more manageable because of the intense exercise and the newness and the ability to fall asleep and repair some of that? Well, actually, what we did was kind of counterintuitive. Uh, A lot of people that we talked to and going to different groups on Facebook and things of this nature, they were talking about making sure that your loved one has a routine. They get up at the same time every day. They have the same thing to eat. They know where the bathroom is so they can do all these things. But at the same time, there's other research that says that you should exercise your brain by doing brain games and Sudoku and puzzles and and things of this nature. So my thought process was that I would move for cheese every day. 
you know, we would get up, there would be something new and exciting to do. She would have to figure it out and that would help out. Yes, there's some stumbles along the way, but one of the things we try to do is focus in on the joy that we're having, the, the fun that we're having, the exercise, the, the races and things of this nature. Where are we going next? Who are we going to see next? And then not focus in on, you know, what might have happened stumble-wise in terms of her cognition. Yes, absolutely. I know I've, I read the book, Still Alice, uh, back along time ago. And like you said, yeah, it, some of the things that were recommended was the routine, having things in the same spot, knowing the roots. Um, but even still in that, um, you know, the main character in the book was still kind of getting lost or being out of sorts or exploring. So I think that is so, um, just inspiring that, you know, you kind of went against the grain and decided how to create this life for yourself that was going to work for you and your partner and then create all these incredible experiences along the way. Something else that we did a little bit differently, a lot of times what happens is you're for early onset, you're usually in your mid fifties. So you're still, uh, your career wise is still going strong. And so the individual with the Alzheimer's is usually left home alone at first, and then their partner is still working. Um, so they can't see the subtle changes that are happening. They are not able to assist as readily uh, with their partner. So we took the different tact, which is we both retired and we stayed together so that I could see the nuances, changes that would happen from day to day. And then we're always there together, um, enjoying the, the life that we were leading at the time. So that was something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what did that journey look like? You, like, what was the time frame by the time you kind of got um, the diagnosis and went through your medical, uh, your surgery, and that to actually selling the house, retiring, packing up? And where did you decide to go to first? Well, what ended up happening is in June of um, 2014, I had my operation. And shortly before that is when she got the diagnosis. Uh, she, was she was able to continue working for a period of time while we got all the documentation together for HR and make sure that they didn't just fire her and leave her you know, out, out in the cold. And I had a race, as a matter of fact, where one of the reasons why we're going to Berlin is that my surgeon was also a triathlete and he was looking at my schedule. He says, okay, you have a race here in April. You've got this race in Berlin in September. I think June would work out good, give you three months to recover. So I actually ran a marathon three months after my surgery. So we did the Berlin, we came back home. We put our house up on the market. I was still trying to decide whether I was going to retire or not. It was, we were pretty sure that she was gonna to have to leave her job. And then a job that I loved, it, I actually was working for United Parcel Service, a job that I loved, uh, they decided that uh, I needed to change jobs. One of the things we, I was in management, one of the things they did a lot was move people around from place to place. So uh, the job that they were gonna give me, I had done before, I didn't particularly like the last time I did it. So I said, okay, maybe I should retire. And then the house sell, sold. And I said, okay, this is a sign of what's going on here. And maybe what we, so not only that, the lady had cash, was ready to move in in two weeks and said, you know, you need to be gone if you wanna take this offer. So we called up the folks, come backed up everything. And we had a family event to, uh, we wanted to go on in December. I signed up for a cruise uh, down in the Caribbean in shortly thereafter and then we had a race in uh, Tokyo in February so we just put those things together and we just started going from race to race to place to place wow okay so first thing 
what did you do with all of the stuff that you accumulated all these years? Did you give it away to family, sell it, store it? Like, where did this stuff go? So there was three, three different ways we did the, the most went in hand and some of it is still there. Where every couple of years we'll go back there, we'll everything taken out. We're like, oh no, we don't need this anymore. We're never going to use this anymore. And then we would give it away uh, to charity. We did have a motor home. We don't use it very often, but we loaded it up and then we moved it and put it in storage in Atlanta. So there was some some stuff there that was in the motorhome. And then the rest of it, we have a five by five uh, storage unit in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we selected Atlanta because Delta flies out of Atlanta just about anywhere. Uh, we have good health care. We like the area, it's nice and warm. And also it, we, we all have kids. So we were able to be able to get back and forth to see our children from time to time. We have the storage unit there. We have a UPS box where we get all our mail and all our packages, and we can use that to um, for our driver's license. You can use that to vote. You can use that for anything that you need, our taxes and things of that nature. So we come and go out of Atlanta. Um, we stay, like I said, mostly in Marriott hotels, and we rent Hertz cars. So that's what we what we do there. <laughs> Wow. So much logistics that go behind the scenes of it all. And okay. So what did your family think when you said, this is our plan? This is what they were doing. Were they on board? Were they like, no, you're absolutely not. Like what, what was the reaction? Our family, uh, Catherine has uh, one daughter lives in Bloomington, Indiana. I have three kids uh, scattered out and for my kids, they thought this was perfectly normal, me being a pilot for all their adult, all their lives and me coming and going. So they thought, oh, yeah, it makes sense. And then also, you know, at that point, we, we had been running for, you know, 15 years. So traveling from place to place to run races, it was no big deal. And also at that point in time, they were on their own. So, you know, my kids were on their own and her daughter was on her own. So, and we made time, you know, we would come back and we would go visit every two or three months and, and see them. And uh, I started writing to a blog, which I still write to. And that was the genesis of, of the book. So they were able to go on and say, oh, that's where dad was. He was, you know, here. Oh, that's where dad was. Here's the pictures and things of this nature. So it kept them um, interested and able to have the information as to where we had been. Uh, and I can't even imagine when you get together, like what incredible stories fly across the kitchen table. Like, what were you doing last week, dad? Oh, I was just in Madagascar. Oh, last week I was in Tokyo. Like I just. Yeah. 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 And, imagine. you know, they, they enjoy the stories that I tell about it. Uh, you know, some things we don't buy a lot of trinkets, but we take a lot of pictures. So we go over the pictures that we've taken. And they enjoy that. And with social media these days, you know, you can stay connected. You, I, I have people, uh, the joke that I tell is folks ask me, do you miss your friends? And I say, no, we make new friends every day. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. I did want to get into that. Um, so you're meeting people all over the world and meeting new friends all the time. Are there specific places that you re have returned to over and over to reconnect with some of the friends or have you run races um, after you've met some people in different places? Have you went on to do some of the same races or what does that look like? Well, there's uh, a couple of running groups that we belong to. Uh, one is based in the Massachusetts Marathon Tours and Travel. As a matter of fact, that's the trip that we're going on back to the Berlin. We went with them uh, seven years ago. We've gone on 25 different trips with them. Um, so there are people there that we know are going to be there that we've been on other trips with. Uh, there's a race out in uh, Portland, Portland, Oregon, that we've been doing three, you know, three to four years. So we have some friends out there. So we'll go out there. But a lot of times we'll drop into the city 
I'll drop a note on Facebook, you know, this is what race we're going to go. And somebody said, oh, I live around a corner, let's meet for lunch. Or I live, you know, down the road, you know, I'll drive an hour, they'll drive an hour, or we'll meet for dinner, things of that nature. Uh, sometimes when I know that there's a, a number of people in the area, I just tell them when we left. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't make anybody feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and you say you do, you do the rental. So you do Hertz cars and the Marriott hotels. Right. So what, where did that come from? Is that, is there a specific reason or are you just, that's your thing? Well, what happened was, uh, with United Parcel Service, I stayed at a lot of Marriott hotels. We also stayed at other hotels, but I found that Marriott, uh, it was the best quality for the dollar there. Uh, also, I rented a lot of cars when I was working. So I had you know, picked Hertz as being one of the best uh, services. And then, of course, looking at the city-wise, you know, I, I had choices between American United and Delta, basically. And then looking at where their hubs were, we had picked Atlanta and then, of course, Delta. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to keep it all together so that you can get your all your miles together, all your points together so that you can uh, enjoy the perks and also the discounts that you get being uh, high level at those different companies. Oh, very cool. What a great tip. Um, okay, so who were you in charge of the organizing or how does that look? I know that you were a pilot. So is that something that just came natural to plan the trips and do the logistics or how did that take place? Well, I, I was a pilot, but mostly I was in management. United Parcel Service had a management structure where you could be a pilot and also manage other pilots. So I was very, I was very in tune and keen to the management end of it. And then, of course, as you might know, United Parcel Service is noted for their logistics. So I had a lot of background uh, working with them and, you know, planning and, and doing this type of thing. So it came very natural to me to take on that task of planning everything. And I enjoy it. I, I look at different routes and different hotels and, you know, I'm still working on a, a trip that's coming up here in November after we get back from, from Europe. So I've always got some plans in the works. That's exciting to always have. I think it's always good, at least for me to have a trip planned, something to look forward to, but right. myself, <laughs> when I do the logistics of planning, like some gotten myself into some crazy situations last time, my husband's like, okay, no. Just leave it up to me. That's my thing. Um, Cause he's like, I need a break from this. I always do it. And then I did it a couple of times. He's like, yeah, no, that's, that's not your wheelhouse. You just um, show up for the trip and I'll, and I'll plan it all. Um, Cause that could be a little overwhelming. I think to get everything lined up properly. Yes. I always say, I don't want to show up for an airplane and they say I left yesterday or show up at a hotel and say, no, you're, your reservation is not till tomorrow. I actually did have that several times, but at Marriott, they say, oh yeah, we know you, no big deal. We'll find you a room uh, for tonight. And uh, I did have one situation, which I talk about in the book where we were stuck and uh, we were trying to get to Brazil and we did not have a visa uh, for Brazil, but uh, I worked through it. We ended up being there two days late but we got there just the same and enjoyed the route along the way. Oh, I love that. So you're traveling from place to place, running marathons, half marathons. Are you, how frequently do you do a race? And are there times where you just travel somewhere and just explore without racing? Oh my, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> On that last question, I don't think so. Uh, there's always a race tied in there somewhere. Uh, we, we do probably about 16 races a year. Uh, so, you know, a couple of months and then, you know, during the winter, winter, and during the summer, summer, we'll, we'll kind of cut back, but yeah, we're racing all the time. One of the things that I found is if I have a race on the calendar, then I'm going to get up and I'm going to go for a run. 
you know, so that that motivates me not to, you know, sleep in or, or take a day off. And then also the motivation is to, is to help Catherine so that we make sure that we get out and get a plenty of exercise all the time. And then, you know, doing the races, we set goals for ourselves by doing that. Not necessarily we want to come in first, second or third or anything like that. It's more in terms of how many races do we want to get done uh, Catherine had a goal to run a marathon in all 50 states plus DC. We got that done last year in October in Narset, Rhode Island. So that was a big accomplishment for her. And then we turned around and said, well, since we got marathons done in all 50 states, let's do a half marathon in all 50 states. We had some prior, but that's what we've been concentrating on this year. And we've just finished up our 40th state in Idaho uh, last week. Wow. Okay. What have you seen? What effects have you seen the traveling and the running um, have on Catherine? All positive. It is, you know, she's, she's ready to go you know, about three or four days after we hit, hit a city or a country uh, in terms of being able to go, go for walks, a lot of walks, a lot of miles we put in, we do the race. We visit the folks that are either on the tour with us or, you know, some locals that we know that are in the area. And we hit all the nice restaurants that people have recommended. We always find a botanical garden. They, they say that that's really good for folks with Alzheimer's to get back to nature. We might do some hiking and then it's ready time to pull up stakes and, and move on. Wow. And are your races normally on pavement or are they in nature and in the mountains and stuff? Mostly on pavement. Uh, it is a bit difficult uh, for obstacles for her to navigate. Uh, walking is fine, but running is, is, is a bit difficult. So we try to keep from slipping and falling and we stay, uh, stay mostly on pavement. Okay, I just have to ask, how often do you have to replace your running shoes? Well, I have a technique, which is I have a tendency to heel strike. I heel strike my right foot more than my left. And then when I see the, the rubber being worn off the right heel, I know it's time to get a new running shoe. Uh, she's probably about a month or two after me, but it's usually about two months for me. And then about three to four months for her is the, on the average. And what we do is uh, Roadrunner Sports, pull up the same shoe, tell them I want it right away. And then it's sent to our UPS box. And when we come through Atlanta, we pick it up and switch them out and take the uh, old ones to the charity box and drop them off. Wow. <laughs> that is so neat. So you go back and forth, you say you, um, use the rentals to get around. Obviously you're flying from country to country in different continents. You've been on all nine continents, seven, seven, yes. seven continents, yes. <laughs> making a couple up you've been, and have you, um, done the marathons on all of them? We've done a, at least a half marathon on all of them. We've done some marathons, but uh, we found that some places like, for example, Antarctica uh, is a little dicey in terms of weather-wise. And we decided that we were just gonna go ahead and do a half marathon there. And then also uh, the Great Wall of China for Asia, we decided that we would just do a half there because you have to do a portion, three and a half mile portion of the Great Wall of China twice if you do the marathon and that's a lot of climbing. So we've only did the half there. Wow. And you're still going, like you've been going seven plus years and do you have, like, are you just going to keep going and going and going, or do you have a plan to, um, settle in somewhere later on? We talk about it, um, not on a regular basis, but we did just have a conversation about it. And right now we decided that uh, we still have the 10 states we want to get done plus DC. We want to get that finished. We're going to do some this fall and then we'll probably finish that up in the spring. And my mother, uh, when she turned 60 to 80 for 20 years, what she did was she traveled from child to child. 
So she would go to, I have two, uh, two siblings. So she'd go see my brother, stay there for a couple of months, and then she'd go to see my sister and come stay with me. And she did that for 20 years. So we're thinking about what we'll do is we'll coordinate the, the uh, races. We'll probably start doing 10Ks or things of that nature. Uh, and uh, we'll go visit. We're not going to move in with our kids. We're just yeah. going to you know, get a hotel or Airbnb nearby and go visit them uh, from time to time. And that also depends on Catherine's health as long as she can keep going. Yeah. Wow. So this stems way back. Like your right. mother lived right. this type of lifestyle. Is that where, uh, what kind of got you into it? Like watching the way that she lived her life or how did you, you know, you traveled around in your career. How did that come to fruition? I would say that, yes, watching my mother and my father, they were divorced, but I saw them travel separately. My dad did a lot of traveling, actually, up until his 90s. And my mother, the way she traveled, uh, one of the things they told me early on is plan for your retirement. Don't let it happen. So uh, they both retired in their early 60s, and then they were able to 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 travel. So my plan was to retire uh, at least by 60. Uh, my heart valve situation caused me to retire a year earlier, but that was fine. But I, you know, I had pretty much had all the ducks in a row for my retirement and my passion, our passion for running and our love for travel, marrying those two things together gave us a good foundation for what we do. Wow. And what a beautiful gift your mother coming to stay with her different children and get that time. Cause you know, as we grow up, sometimes the time between visits with your parents and having that connection in person is, you know, few and far between with whatever's going on with life or so for her, be able to go and kind of sift through each one of you and, and rotate and get that time. Uh, that, what a gift that is. Yes, and, and that's another th- reason why we're, we're going to modify our plan for next year, which is uh, because I now have three grandkids um, and Catherine already has three grandkids. So we want to spend some more time with them. You know, the, we, we, we raised our kids. They got out of the house and they did their thing. Now they're starting to have kids. So it's kind of a, a good time for us to spend a little bit more time with the, with the kids. Yeah. How, yeah. How incredible will that be to be able to, you know, you're not tied down to anything, be able to travel and uh, visit and spend that time with them. Right. Yeah. So you guys are traveling the world, have this incredible life. Uh, Were there anything, any challenges that came up that uh, question what you were doing? Yeah. Anything that's really kind of put a wrench in things where you, where you question, like, what are we doing? Like, is this worth it? Well, one of the things that we did, it was we focused in on what we were enjoying at the time and experiencing at the time and the planning and, you know, looking forward to it and setting goals, which kept us from concentrating on our health issues on a day-to-day basis they do crop up, you know, you'll, I had a, a situation where I was having my heart valve looked at and making sure that, you know, it was all looking good. And they took a picture, a little bit longer view than normal. And they got into my gut you know, with a CT scan and they says, oh, you have an aneurysm in your gut. And so we, you know, we were all planning to go to Antarctica and we had all these plans scheduled. And I had this situation come up. So I quickly did some research, talked to my doctors, and we came up with a plan to get uh, my aneurysm and my gut repaired. And we were still able to, to, uh, to do the races that we had set up. So things like that do come up. Uh, we have very good uh, health care that I mentioned in Atlanta. I, I see, probably see a doctor about every three months from one thing to the other. Uh, Catherine has a, a very good neurologist that we see here in Atlanta. As a matter of fact, we got an appointment with them uh, next week. 
and we keep keep checking on ourselves to make sure there's no surprises because that's one of the things we don't want to happen this is end up in an emergency room uh covid hit we as soon as the vaccine was available we went ahead and we did that we we uh wear our mask every time we go out you know and we you know take care of ourselves and we also feel our immune system is boosted by all our running that we do so we're, we're feeling pretty comfortable about that i will say that when COVID hit it was a bit scary because we were in St. Kitts and they closed their borders and they wouldn't let us off the island. So that was that was a bit nerving, unnerving at the time, but we were able to get out of there after a month and get back to the States. Wow. And then when you get back to the States, um, how do you travel from place to place with all of the restrictions and stuff? Did you have to take a little break or... Uh, were you able just to drive or fly or get around to the next place that was on your list? Well, we got back to the States and we quarantined like you're supposed to. We ended up uh, at a, a hotel nearby where we used to live, which is near Catherine's family. Uh, so, you know, they would be on the front porch and we would be out in the driveway waving and saying hello and things like that for, for a good month. And uh, we found an Airbnb and we stayed there for another month and then, you know, had Grubhub bring us food and things of this nature, and, you know, grocery store deliver food to us and, and things like that. We took our precautions. But being a pilot, I understood how the circulation worked in the airplane and felt very comfortable with uh, Delta's protocols of cleaning the aircraft, sanitizing the airplane. Uh, short story is that years prior, we has get, were getting colds a lot. So we, a friend of ours told us, oh, you need to wipe down your seats. So we had started wiping down our seats in our hotel rooms five years ago. So it was real natural for us. And we was kind of comical, you know, seeing them, you know, doing all the sanitizing. And then also there's just really no documented case of where uh, a pathogen has been trans transferred via airplanes because of the circulation. So we knew that that was really good and the capacities were reduced. And we felt that uh, with the hotels, at one point with the hotels, there was nobody there. So you really didn't have to worry about, you know, running into people or having any problems. And also they don't want anybody to get sick. So they were coming in and they were super sanitizing the rooms. As a matter of fact, at one point, they were blocking off a whole floor. So they were just have you know, people staying on the second and fourth floor, and then they were cleaning out the first and third, and then the next week they would use the first and third and clean out the second and fourth. So they were, you know, really taking precautions, and we felt very comfortable with that. And we figured we had no place to live, so, you know, we have really no choice <laughs> in the matter. We might as well just keep going. Nice. Yeah, so it didn't really put uh, a wrench in your plan. You can just no. keep keep carrying on the lifestyle yeah. that yeah, we, we had to we had to do some testing in some cases. You know, some of the races that we we're doing, it was fifteen of us that would get together, you know, run around a lake or something like that. You know, to get the the state done. Um, but you know, we had occasions where trying to get into Rhode Island or Maine or Connecticut, we had to show uh, a, a negative test going in. So no big deal. We would arrange to get the test. We would show up. We would show them our negative test. We're right now jumping through a lot of hoops trying to get over to Europe and all the precautions and all the protocols that you have to do and all the testing that you have to do and showing your vaccination records and all. So we've got a whole list of things that we're, we're ticking off to make sure we get accomplished before we go over there. Luckily, uh, and this is one of the reasons why we like to go to tour groups is because they do a lot of that background for you and just, you know, say, hey, you need to do this by this date, you need to do this by that date. So you're not, you're not out there all by yourself. They're helping you along the way. Okay. So you've, you're part of some tour groups going right. to, okay. So do they set up some, some of the itinerary for you or is it yes. one of the, some of the running groups that you've talked about? 
Right, uh, the one that I mentioned earlier in Massachusetts, uh, Marathon Tours and Travel, they do tours while you're there. So what happens is you'll go in, the race is on a Saturday, you'll show up on a Wednesday, they'll have a dinner, a reception, they'll have some tours, bus tours of the area, and then they arrange for the travel. You know, you buy your own tickets, airline tickets in and out, but they arrange for the travel while you're there and make sure you just get to see all the high spots. Uh, this one particularly, they have a, what is known as an extension. Uh, you have some, some folks are just going there to Berlin to get the marathon done, but we're going on to Scotland and we're gonna do a 10K race over in Scotland called the Loch Ness uh, Marathon 10K. Very cool. What are some of the hidden gems that you found along the way off the beaten path from the tours or some of the, um, I guess, main attractions? Well, Madagascar is one I, I would not return. You know, I've seen it, checked the box, got the t-shirt, things of this nature, but it was a, a, a very eye-opening experience. You have people walking down the street carrying a jug of water on their head. That's their job for the day is to get water for their family. That's what they're going to do for that day. And, you know, there's other folks who are out trying to, you know, find food or, or, or uh, take care of their, their loved ones. Uh, but at the same time, it's a beautiful country. And one of the things that uh, brings a lot of people there are the lemurs. Uh, they are only found there on that, that, that part of the world. So we did a lot of touring, uh, listening and finding and playing with the lemurs in the area. So that was, that was amazing, absolutely amazing. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine all of the, the wildlife and the culture and the people and the, the ways of life that you've come across on your right, travels. And you, and you realize you take a lot of things for granted. You know, we just, we just go to the sink and turn the faucet on and there's our water. You know, this gentleman's going to go out for three or four hours a day just to get enough to, to make it till, till tomorrow. Wow. So how has the experience changed your life and the way that you I guess, view your life um, and the world? Well, I have a couple of, I have a lot of quotes in the book. Um, one of them, I'm not going to quote verbatim, but it talks about how it's very hard for you not to like someone that has just offered a, a meal in their home. And we've had many experiences. We were in Casablanca. Uh, we were in uh, uh, parts of other parts of the country and the world where we would go on a tour and the, the meal would be provided by a family. We would be sitting down at their table, you know, 15 of us or 10 of us having a meal that they prepared in your kitchen right around the corner. You can, you know, still smell, you know, the food cooking while you wait, and, you know, just to, their rituals of going through their preparations. Uh, we were at Petra Jordan and they, the preparations of the food there and we've had some amazing food choices. I would say Petra Jordan was one of the one of the highlights for me, and because it's more of a, like a Mediterranean diet, so a lot of salads, a lot of different vegetables, a lot of different tastes to the vegetables, and so you really don't need the meat that goes along with it. You just you know enjoy, and then the desserts just go on and on and on forever, <laughs> and you know being able to enjoy the different desserts and how they're prepared. Wow. Well, the life that you have lived, um, is absolutely incredible. I'm so inspired by your story. Um, I have a few questions to kind of finish off. Okay. Um, the first one is over the last seven years of travel, what are three of the top things that you couldn't live without in your suitcase? Oh my, that is so funny that you should ask that question because I was looking at what would I do differently over the last seven years? And one of the things that I mentioned earlier uh, is the fact that just because you need something one day doesn't mean you have to carry it around with you every day. And that's the, over time, we first started out, we were carrying three 50-pound suitcases, two backpacks. You know, we had dresses, we had, you know, formal wear, we had all this jewelry, you know, all these things that we thought we needed. 
And over time, you just got, you know, said, no, nope, we can go down to two suitcases. And now we're one suitcase and a backpack and a roller bag. And, you know, we're, we find if we get someplace and we need it, we just go buy it. We just, you know, instead of carrying it around, you know, everywhere we go. Uh, that's one of the things that we've noticed that we don't, we, we've been able to adjust to over time. I wish I knew that years ago would have been a lot easier on the old <laughs> Yeah. Instead of clunging around, clunging around these huge suitcases. So what items specifically um, would you not live without? Like you could live without a lot, but what are some of the ones that you're like, I absolutely, this is like the first thing that's in my suitcase or it doesn't leave my suitcase or like, I will always remember this. Well, you always have your toiletries, you know, you, those are personal to you. You know, you don't want to go out and be using someone else's toothbrush <laughs> and things of that nature. Uh, there are different flosses and, and things like that. Your, the hairbrush that you've been using for years and years. So, you know, your toiletry kit is one. And then also some comfortable shoes. You know, we have our running shoes that we do. And then we just put on another pair of kick arounds that uh, will pretty much go with anything that you have on. And we, we put them in the bag and make sure that we have them. Uh, the other thing is making sure that you do have another set of very, very comfortable uh, running outfit to run in, you know. You don't want to have 15 of them, which we started out with. You do want to have a change that, uh, well, once drying out in the, in the bathroom, you can have another one to put on and go for a run. Because you never know. You know you'll, you'll get somewhere and you'll look and you'll say, oh, we're not going to run today. You get out and go, oh, my God, look at this path. Look at where it goes. Look at this, look at this park. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we've been in places that you could actually run a marathon inside the gates of a park you know, it was just perfect. So, yeah. Always an extra set. Okay. So leave the extra 15 behind and just bring the two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I totally used to pack, uh, very heavy on little tropical destinations or wherever I went. And then I started hiking and I got a backpack and I mean, you're hauling this thing around like 20 kilometers, 30 kilometers in the wilderness. And after like a few of those trips, when you're measuring like how many grams, everything adds up, right? I reevaluated my suitcase after that. Like, am I really going to wear this heavy sweater? Maybe possibly this pair of boots that weigh two pounds. And yeah, when you're lugging it around, I definitely reevaluated after a while and left uh, half of my wardrobe at home. Right. One of the things we notice is that because we'll go from climate to climate, you know, we're in Antarctica one minute and then we're, you know, in Brazil the next. So we're like, okay, do I really need all these things? I'll just layer up. You know, you just put on two t-shirts and you put on another sweatshirt and then put on another jacket and then put another jacket on top of that, as opposed to, you know, lugging around a big, you know, heavy coat just because you're going to need it for couple of days. No sense in doing that. Right. Wow. Okay. So what are some of the simple, but most joyful things that you've come across on your journey? I would say the people, um, the interactions of Catherine and I are, are very sociable people. Um, we, we don't judge anybody you know, by locale, uh, we, we seem to be able to talk to anyone. Uh, I would say it's very easy for us to talk to people because of our story is so unique. You know, once folks start hearing about what we're doing, you know, they want to stay around and listen to some more of it. And so we're able to, to have some good conversations. And the, the mere fact that we could go, I could, we could basically go anywhere and I could find someone that we've met and, you know, call them up and say, hey, you know, we're going to be in the area, you know, you're within an hour drive of where we're going to be, let's meet up. So we've met people all around the world and we're able to meet up with them all around the world. Some cases it's intersecting, you know, they don't live there, we don't live there, but we happen to be in the same place at the same time. Oh, that's so cool. 
I love that. Having those connections everywhere, everywhere you go, you've got a connection or can create a connection. Was there any uh, language barrier ever? (laughs) My daughter is working on a PhD in linguistics and she always criticizes me because I only know English. Uh, I'm somewhat dyslexic, so I use that as an excuse for learning another language. But at the same time, which language am I going to learn? You know, I'm, you know, Spanish here, French there, German there, you know, which one to pick? So I just kind of point my way. You know, I see something go by (laughs) on the waiter's tray and I say, well, I'll take that. (laughs) That type of thing. Uh, So language is not really a barrier for us uh, because one of the things I've realized is that when people are providing a service to you, they want your money and they're going to adjust to make sure they get your, their, your money from you. So uh, they're going to you know, accommodate you uh, very well. We've been some places where nobody spoke any English at all, but at the same time, they, they had something that we wanted and we wanted something that they had. So we, we figured it out to be able to point our way around the world, as I put it. I love that. (laughs) Okay. So I've already asked you, or you've already mentioned some of the best food discoveries that you've made as you've traveled the world. Um, Any others that stick out? Well, we're going to, we're going to go in the opposite direction. And uh, Madagascar was an occasion where a number of us got sick. Uh, It's not that the food wasn't prepared well, it wasn't that there was some, something wrong with the food. It was just a matter of fact that your body is not used to certain types of bacteria. So you have a reaction to it. People that live there all the time, it's perfectly normal to them. So your body reacts to it. So we had to do that. However, Catherine was fine because she realized right off the bat that this was not a place that she was going to eat, you know, go out and try something new. Uh, one of the things that she did there, she just had a salad and white rice. And she, you know, ate that the whole time and she was perfectly fine. Whereas we were lined up at the, the local pharmacy getting the local uh, <laughs> for, uh, prescription that uh, would handle the bacteria for the area. And then on the other end of it, we were in Bhutan. And what they did was they made sure that all the restaurants uh, served the same food that was prepared uh, from the chef that would go around to the different restaurants and make sure that you know, it was all done correctly and prepared correctly because they didn't want anybody to get sick there. So yeah, no matter where you went, you basically had the same offerings, um, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, it was very tasty. But at the same time, it's pretty much the same thing, no matter where you went. Oh, interesting. Cuba, Cuba was another example where we went there. Yes, they had their rice and beans, uh, but it was so well prepared. Every single meal was just uh, over the top. We really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, that would be cool. so cool to see the different um, flavorings and spices that come along with this, I guess, some of the same types of dishes just created in a different uh, a different way with the spicing that they do. Right. As opposed to here, you want French dressing, you want blue cheese, or you want vinaigrette, you know, there, you know, their salad would come with their local prepared uh, spices. And, and I couldn't really describe to you what it was called, but it was uh, always very tasty. Nice. Okay. Here's my next question. What is one thing that stuck out to you about how, we as humans are all the same. Well, that's a thread also in my book that I talk about the fact that uh, we were in Venice as an example when this came up. And one of the things I like to do is I like to just look around and see how people have to do certain things. They all have garbage that has to be removed. They all have to you know, find an occupation, something to do. They all have to feed their family and, and provide for their family. And so watching that system at different locales, it was very interesting. You know, some of them, the water was their transportation. 
Uh, some of them did not have any mass transportation at all. Some of them had mass transportation, which was basically just a bunch of folks with a van, you know, pulling up at a corner and people jumping in and jumping out at the same time and dropping off a dollar. So it was really interesting to watch those different ways of doing the same thing. Um, we were in, locally, we were in uh, Oklahoma and we were doing a race in Guyman, Oklahoma. And I noticed this is okay. We like to recycle. So we're always looking for the recycling centers and things of this nature, couldn't find one. And then I was like, well, maybe somebody has their, their recycling bin out and we'll just toss it in there. I couldn't find any recycling bins at the, you know, outside of somebody's home. And then I noticed I didn't see any garbage cans outside. And then every three or four blocks, there's this big, huge uh, metal container that trucks would come around and pick up. And I realized after a while is no, a garbage can would not survive in this wind. So they, you know, people would just, you know, take the garbage, put it in a car, drive down a couple of blocks and all put it in, the, in this big um, sturdy container that was not going to be blown by 50 and 60 mile per hour winds in Oklahoma. Wow. That, that's so cool to be able to see how we all do the same sort of things in such a different way. Yes. So that goes to my next question. What is stuck out about how we are so different in the way we choose to live our lifestyle? And is there any one place that you think has it all figured out? Well, I'll answer the second one first. I do not think anybody has it figured out as of yet. You know, we all have our ways of, of what we feel is the best way to go about doing it. Um, I can't point out anywhere that I thought that they did it better than others. Uh, everybody, you know, is trying their best to, to, to figure it out, but I have not, you know, you know, for example, you go somewhere and there's a lot of solar, you go someplace and a lot of windmills, you know, to go someplace where you can recycle very easily. You go some places where it's impossible to recycle. Um, so you, you, because of the transportation systems, like I said, and you know a lot of waterways that they use when we went to Vietnam and Cambodia, you, you know they use a lot of the Mekong for transportation. Uh, they don't have any electricity in a lot of those areas, so they used a lot of batteries. They would actually take car batteries, take them in, have them recharged, and then bring them back out. Uh, they had a high uh, incidence of folks having uh, cell phones. Like, how do you people have all these cell phones per capita with no electricity? Uh, because they were just plugging them into their uh, their car batteries that they would, they would take on and recycle out and get charged up. So you, you see so many different ways, but basically, like I said, dear, they're all trying to do those basic things. You know, find some food, find some water, find a nice place to live. In some cases, it could be a, a hut up along the, the highway. Uh, we were in uh, Cairo, Egypt, and the folks there, they would uh, stop you, ask for money. And we've run across a lot of, you know, people asking for money, you know, right here in Atlanta, you know, we'll drive and we'll always have a little bit of change, the guy on the, on the side of the road asking for a couple of bucks, things of that nature. But there, you, they sold something to you. Tissues, little packets of Kleenex was the number one item that they would sell. So you're walking down, the guy has a packet of tissues. He's basically got it, got it for 25 cents and he, you know, you give him 50 cents, he's made you know, 25 cents and he does that several times a day. He's got a, enough money to, 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 to help pay for some food. Uh, we were in uh, Cambodia. Uh, Unemployment is very low because of all the agriculture there. So what they do is they don't really go out and panhandle. Uh, what they do is they, uh, the little kids will come up and they'll, they'll hand you a little flower that they picked on the side of the road. <laughs> and then they're actually, the, the point, more importantly, their point is they're trying to work on their English. So they'll stop 
and they'll hand you, you know, sorry, you'll give them a couple of cents, you know, for it. And then they'll start asking you questions so they can work on their English because it, for them, it's really important to be able to speak English. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. I love that you kind of bring it back to that. It's not one that's better than the other. We're all just trying to do the same things and in our own way and figure it all out and whatever works for each of us in our own circumstances, I guess, is the way to live the the best lifestyle for yourself. There's not one. Well, and our lifestyle is the same way. Nobody, you know, you look at it and go, oh, that sounds like a great. And then when they really analyze it and think about it, go, no, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to do that. It sounds good, but no. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. So lastly, you've got a book called running all over the world, a race against early onset Alzheimer's. And it's designed to inspire you to live a full, rich life through sharing your story of your global travel and running these marathons across the world. So where can people find out more about you, more about your blog, how to get a hold of this book and really dive into all the stories that you share? Well, like I said earlier, what we did was when we started, I ended up writing to a blog. The blog is called runningwithcat.com. That's C-A-T. Cat is my pet name for Catherine. So it's pretty easy for you to find that. There, I'm still writing to it. So you'll probably, uh, in a couple of weeks, you'll be able to hear what we did while we were in Berlin and, and all the adventures there and share the stories there. I usually write uh, when we go on a trip and then I, I post it shortly thereafter. I took all that information over the five and a half years at that point and compiled it into the book. And on the downside of being stuck in St. Kitts, it gave me a time to, to be able to kind of sit down and, and go through it and edit it and cut out. It, was, it started out at about 1,200 pages and, you know, was able to get it down to about 400 pages. The other thing I wanted to do is I listened to a lot of audio books um, while we travel, while we run uh, in the car and things of this nature. I like to, to keep myself apprised of what's out there. Um, and I really thought it would be pretty neat for Catherine and I to be, you know, in a car driving somewhere and listening to our stories of where we were in, let's just say, for example, Havana, Cuba. And you know, we're listening to it, we're able to reminisce over it. So I thought, wow, why don't I do an audio book? Well, first you have to write a book. So I went at it backwards and I said, okay, well, I gotta start doing the book, did the book. And then also I'm the type of person, I wanna be able to have everything available to anybody and so what I did was I made sure that it had a hard copy, a soft copy. I made sure it had an ebook version, uh, audio book version. You could get it at Amazon.com. You can get it on Bars and Noble, go to iTunes. So it's, it's out there everywhere. It, you, you don't have to search. And then also on our website, runningwithcat.com, uh, I give you an opportunity to buy an autograph copy if you like. And then you go there and then click on the, another link to Amazon and it takes you right to the Amazon site for you to buy the book there. When we come through Atlanta, I uh, have a printer all set up I, for, the, for the labels. Uh, I have a little situation where I can you know, print it out and we sign them. We get them in the mail and turn them around. I order them from, from the publisher and we get it done. Sometimes I turn around in a day. Sometimes since we're not going to be here for a couple of weeks, it might take a couple of, a little bit longer, but I make sure it's available for everybody. Wow. You're just making it happen with uh, wherever you are kind of creating that space. I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of your book. I think you're story is very inspiring to so many people to realize that you can create uh, whatever life that you want that fills you up and checks off all of the boxes and you don't have to wait. I love how you say, what was it? Don't wait till retirement happens to you. 
Right, right, right. Yep. Right. Yep. But plan got... for it. Plan for it. Absolutely. And then also you, you um, try to find your passion while you're working because uh, that's just a portion of your life. I say that uh, retirement is the best phase of life uh, if, you, if you plan properly for it. Uh, the book is multifaceted. If you're a runner, you'll, you'll get it. If you're a traveler, you'll get it. If you're a person with Alzheimer's, you'll get it. If you're a caregiver for someone with Alzheimer's, you'll get it. I kind of draw all that together. I, I, it wasn't just one track where you'll be sitting there going, oh, okay, this, you know, here we go from there, there. But at the same time, I'll give you some Tony insights as to what it's like to, to try your find your way um, in Amsterdam from one place to another and not get lost. I love that everything all packed into one it doesn't matter who you are you will walk away from this book with something that you can um take and apply to your life or um get you thinking in a different way or about something a little bit differently so thank you for sharing your story today it's very rich full of different pieces of it, advice and lessons along the way. So I appreciate well, you being here. You're quite welcome. I got something special for you. I'm uh, going to send you a uh, free download of the audio book. And for your first listener to connect with us on go to runningwithcat.com and hit the connect button and tell me that you heard, heard uh, my story here. I'll send them also an audiobook download file. Yay! And it's great. (laughs) The guy that I hired did a fabulous job. He's got my character, my sense of humor. And uh, Catherine and I just, we smile and laugh all the time while we're listening to it. Oh, I love that. How I just love how you can... Uh, carry on your adventure while uh, reminiscing and listening about all that you've created so far and just know what else um, you're creating. And yeah, the next, the next story is being created as, as you live out your day to day. Yes, absolutely. How incredible. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. You're quite welcome. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of all things relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.